You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right, guys, let's go ahead and uh, pull it back in, grab a seat. I'll just go ahead and uh, watch the Steelers game while that's taking place. For, uh, for those of you that are Steelers fans, if you want to come see me afterwards, I can hook you up with a uh, free 4K live stream. For those of you that you aren't, um, I'll, I'll make it available to you for a small fee. <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> Anyways, good to see everybody this morning. Welcome South Bay Church. Welcome to each and every one of you that are at home watching us this morning. I want to go ahead and open things up with a word of prayer here. Father, I just want to thank you. I so love coming into this fellowship, the buzz that uh, just stand here and watching the interaction of all my brothers and sisters here that are part of the South Bay Church is so encouraging. Father, I do want to offer up and uh, petition on behalf of another a number of individuals who are not able to join us here this morning. Uh, for Jill Dickens, Father, please uh, help her to move forward in the healing process. Uh, with just the various things that she's been having to navigate for Ryan and Tiva and their family uh, with the uh, flu, whatever it is that they're currently dealing with, God, help everybody there to be restored to health. Seely, uh, who just was diagnosed with COVID, and Lupita, who's been hospitalized with kidney stones. Father, I pray that in each of these situations, you bring things to a quick resolve, and uh, especially when it's with families that we can keep everybody from the family, in the, within the family, from uh, catching whatever it is that's making the rounds with all the different things that are taking place this time of year. But Father, with all that, grateful uh, for this time of year and just the reminders that we have, uh, even in the secular world, uh, I know sometimes we can complain about the Christmas songs and the decorations and when they all come out, but in some ways, it's a good thing because there's an awareness of what you've put in our DNA, and that is... God, you are the Father in heaven, and you sent us the most amazing gift to ever thought about when it comes to sending your Son to die for us so that we have the opportunity to spend eternity with you in heaven, for which we are so incredibly grateful. Father, I love you. Thank you for this time. And again, thank you for the South Bay Church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. How about a uh, question for you going into this time of the year? Does anybody have anything in particular that stands out that is uh, your favorite? that this time of year tends to bring about? Something that you really enjoy? Christmas music. Christmas lights. Yeah, you know, for those of you that don't know Calvin very well, going all the way back to when they had Space Lab up in uh, orbit, they were able to see his house from outer space. And I'm sure uh, Edison really appreciates his contribution to them at this time of year. Anybody else? Nicole. Bobby, I love making and giving gifts and just seeing the look on people's faces when they see how much thought you put into, you know, making or getting something for them. You know, that, that is a fun thing. We got a, how many grandparents we got in this mix? My gosh, there's a few of y'all. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of the things I love about the grandkids, you know, as you hook them up with that stuff, they rip everything apart and then they play with a box, but the look on their face is still pretty darn amazing, right? Hey, anyone else? Brian. The, uh, the three weeks a year you get to see random strangers actually smile when you pass them in the street. Oh 
You know, that, that, that can be a little encouraging, unless you've seen the horror flick smile, and then that brings things to a whole other uh, connotation there. But well, I, there's a list of the five most disliked holiday traditions, which I've got here for you this morning, which um, I was mildly amused by a few, surprised by a couple, but I'll let you guys figure them out. Starting with number five, decorating the home, 18.9%. Of Americans dislike, except for Calvin Johnson. He makes up for the rest. Holiday parties, 22.1%. Now, the next one, it depends on whether you're the caroler or the carolee, but caroling or singing came in at 24.2%. Now, the, the next two, number one and number two, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't flip, but at 24.9% attending religious services. Now, you know, I don't know, we're a little bit light this morning, but I know we got a lot of sickness and whatnot going on, and some people, you know, there's, a, there's an issue with going out in California and getting wet um, with the rain and the whole bit, so I, I guess I can understand that a little bit today. And then the number one, are you ready? Coming in at 26.7%. Gift exchange. Now, getting back to number two, I would think that attending religious services might have been greater. I, I guess there's hope for the world in that it wasn't number one, right? Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Do want to uh, move forward. To, what was that? Yeah, maybe, maybe that's where, the, yeah, I can't, I can't attest to the scientific, how the hell they acquired the scientific data for this study. But uh, anyway, we are continuing with our uh, a series here this morning, uh, Hidden Christmas, and specifically Mary's Faith. So we got a little bit of a taste of Christmas, but from our perspective, what does Christmas mean? It's a little bit more substantial. Hope. It's a biggie. Eternal life. Light or life? Light. Truth. Peace. You know, are, are these not things that can kind of get pushed to the side and sometimes we, we lose track of, we lose sight of? You know, I think we, we do need to be careful and that we're, in a, we're part of a secular society that's doing everything it can to push the meaning behind Christmas as it comes with anything uh, regarding God, Christianity, any form of faith to the side. And if we're not careful, we can really miss the real meaning of Christmas, the hidden Christmas lessons. So, you know, when we think about Christmas, well, what does it really mean? There's a number of the responses we got this morning that totally tie in with illumination, spiritual light, all of this coming from God. It means reconciliation, peace, peace with God, peace with others by grace. It means that the one that's the hugest for me is the extremes God would go to to have a relationship with us, and that is God taking on a human nature with the emotions, the physical aspects, all of it, the mental, all those things that uh, we deal with on a daily basis. Things that can uh, be very challenging when it comes to what we feel emotionally, what we feel physically, what we go through mentally, with the various challenges that we have to face in life. But I think with that too is the most amazing one is the fact that salvation is a part of that. And you know, and how we should consider how to respond to what God has given us, how we can receive it. You know, Luke in, the, Luke in the book of Luke tells us about how Mary responded to the incarnation. And I believe 
Luke holds her up as a model of what responsive faith looks like for Christian and non-Christian alike. So what can we learn from Mary in response? Well, we're going to go ahead and dive in with Luke 1 in verse 27. It says, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went, and went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I love Mary's response here, as I think most of us would probably respond accordingly. It might be even a little bit more extreme. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, what kind of a greeting might this be? It's like, okay, what's next? Where are we going with this? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know that I would come away from that particular uh, diatribe there feeling very, very comforted at all. So Mary continues. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, just looking at this passage, let's go ahead and keep it up on the screen for a moment. Why is Mary's response held up as being full of faith? Now, I just want to open it up for a sec. In light of her experiences in the culture, what are some of the things that she might have to contend with upon conceiving this child? Ridicule? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was the, the ultimate aspect of adultery and morality back then? Fidel just said, fear for her life. She could have been stoned to death for this. So we, we got a little bit of a flavor of some of the things that probably were going through her head as she was digesting what this angel had just come forth with. Yet we see that her response, regardless of what it might entail, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, some have called Mary's faith blind faith. There's a quote from a Timothy Keller that I wanted to go ahead and if we can go to the next slide. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, said, I've often heard people say, I'm skeptical and I ask a lot of questions. Religious people do not. They just believe. Now, thinking back to uh, when the uh, Teagues first started reaching out to us, it was months before I was even willing to cross the threshold of their home in light of the massive number of questions I had, and the thing that was starting to kind of tick me off is whenever I had a, a question about spirituality, religion, Christianity, any of those things, that know-it-all Bruce Teague had an answer for pretty much anything that I put his way. Now, one, one that he never did address, which was one that I kind of put out there, was probably more of a defense mechanism was, than anything else, was, okay, Bruce, you know, I know he had an answer for this, he had an answer for this, that, and the other, you tell me where the dinosaurs came from, dude, and I will study the Bible. Same. 
So, you know, I think with that, for anybody to claim that if you take on spirituality, you become a Christian, it's just because you got blind faith. And honestly, I think a lot of times what's being implied is that you're not really very bright if you need to have somebody like God or Jesus Christ in your life. So Mary's faith was not blind faith. And we can see that again by the passage we had in Luke and that she doesn't say, oh my gosh, this is so wonderfully amazing. I've got an angel talking to me, man. This is cool. I, that, we kind of see but from the passage that that was not where she was operating from. In Luke 1, verse 29, it tells us that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. You know, that, that word wondered is not the best translation. Um, Owen, it actually means to audit. So as an accountant, having that wherewithal, when you look at a piece of paper with all those numbers, what are some of the things that go through your head? Where do they come from? Can I trust them? Are they accurate? So there's a, a thought process involved, right? You just don't look at it in blind faith, throw a number at the end of the thing, and, you know, we're done, right? So, again, I think when it comes to the translations that we have, sometimes we can lose a little bit in the meaning of what it is that's taking place. So the Greek word means to make an audit. It's an accounting word. It means to, things need to be added up, weighed, and pondered to be intensely rational. So I would imagine, in light of what you heard, it isn't hard to believe that she might come off of that communication just a little bit troubled. I, I would imagine any normal person, having had that interaction, would have had at least the degree of emotion and some of the concerns that she had. You know, and, and just thinking that through, too, can you imagine having to explain this to somebody? Did I really just see an angel? Was this a dream? You know, was uh, taking down a little bit too much carbon dioxide with that fire that we had that was, you know, burning in the house this morning, making dinner? You know, what's going on? She doesn't immediately accept the message, but instead she asks, how can this be? And Mary shows us that responding in faith is a whole person experience. It includes intellect, the brain. She was fully engaged on that level. I know, some of you were, I know some of you were thinking it. I gave you the brief pause. You missed your cue. So when we look at Mary, Mary's responding as you would respond if an angel showed up and started talking to you, right? Think about it for a moment. What do you think the response would be if you were in Mary's place? I want you to just think about that for a minute. You know, all the plans, possibilities in her life, all these things, which... Many of us as teens, thinking back, and I'm sure the teens that are with us this morning, they have plans for their life. They're thinking through maybe career choices or maybe not that deep, maybe dating choices or, or things of that nature, you know, getting married, whatever it may be. I remember as a teen, I wanted to be an astronaut. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't that funny. <laughs> wow. Did you guys hear that? What the heck was, what the heck was he... What the heck was the implications of that? Go ahead. Well, now that's fighter jets. That's a whole different thing. That's a whole, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it crosses over. I mean, the amount of mass that they have to displace. There's, there's some potential issues there. That, that's pretty much it. I was gung-ho on being an astronaut. I was, you know, a sci-fi guy. I honestly thought that I'd be one of those guys going to Mars. And now we know that that's something that many of you will see in your lifetime. 
Uh, the issue was Magic Mountain in 1974, 75. The only, roller, the only roller coaster they had at the time, this gives you an idea as to how old the park was, was the Gold Rush. They've got a few more since then. Uh, but they did have this thing called the Spin Out. I don't, do they still have that? Okay, well, there's, there's reasons for that. I won't get into graphic detail, but that thing spins around. It's like a giant centrifuge. You're glued to the wall. I had a blast while I was on it. Floor drops out. You're stuck on the wall. I got out of that thing, and I about blue chunks. For about a week or two after that, that's exactly what I was dealing with. Somebody, I'd be walking across campus. Somebody be, hey, Steve. Whoa. <laughs> so, you know, needless to say, those dreams were shattered, as I'm sure Mary's thinking through all the wonderful things that she wanted to accomplish, realizing, Wow. Things are changing up a little bit. What would, you, what would Joseph say? Uh, virgin birth. Now, I think I've heard just about everything. You spoke to Angela? Angela? No? You spoke to an angel? Are you kidding me? You know, and Joseph could have decided to go any number of ways with it, not to marry her, leaving her a young, pregnant woman, unmarried, in a society where she would surely be condemned, ridiculed, and as Fidel said, maybe in fear of her life, because she could have been stoned. You know, would she always be viewed as the woman who had sex before marrying Joseph, either with Joseph or having been unfaithful to Joseph with another man? What about her son, Jesus? She was supposed to have this Messiah, the Lord. Would he grow up being known as a bastard child? You know, this be, could be a life of disgrace or worse. You know, and with that, I wonder if Mary's song in Luke 1, verses 46 through 55 and ultimately, her responsive, faithful decision led her to think about Abraham and some of the amazing promises that were made to him and his surrender to God and what it cost him. Did she connect God's promise to Abraham with this promise made to her? And you know, and if you get a chance, go back through the genealogies in Matthew. I've always found that incredibly boring, but one of the things that really stood out to me in this book that... I'm just firing on all eight cylinders up here today. <laughs> I do find the genealogies boring, not to mention reading through them in a group setting like this. Brian, you relate. I mean, he's a teacher guy. And our pronunciation's a little bit of a challenge sometimes. But the thing that's so amazing about it, when we look at Abraham's promise, and this is the significance of God's word, and that we need to know it, because I really believe wholeheartedly the decision she made was based on her knowledge of Scripture, and based on the promises that God had made continually throughout mankind. If you go through the genealogies in Matthew, I just, I've read it a gazillion times, but after reading Tim Keller's book, it brought something to my attention that I had never seen before, and that was the fact that in that genealogy, there are women. In that genealogy, there are Gentiles. So God's promise from the beginning to Abraham was that he would be the father of all nations. All races, all gender, and the fact that we've got this scriptural account in the New Testament that continues to substantiate everything that we have in the Old Testament. So God said to Abraham, I want to bring salvation into the world through you, through your body, through your family. And Abraham responded, what then do you want me to do? God answered, get out, leave your homeland, your family, your friends, Leave everything you know, anything that falls in the realm of security, and go out into the wilderness. Abraham, where do you want me to go? I'll tell you later, <laughs> says God. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy, right? But we know he went in Hebrews 11, verse 8, next slide. 
<coughs> Excuse me. It's not COVID. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 8, I've tested. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as a, an inheritance, now called to a place later that he would receive, he had no idea where he was going, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. You know, it's exactly the same thing with Mary here. I would imagine is, again, a lot of our teenagers had their dreams of what her future life would look like. You know, maybe part of that was, I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have a house. We're going to have 4.7 children, a dog, a cat, a cow, a couple goats, maybe some sheep. And But now God's calling totally disrupts her life and throws all that into doubt. You know, what kind of a life is ahead of her now? But what Mary demonstrates in her response is that all of that doesn't matter. When she says, I am your servant, she's going out not knowing where life would take her, other than the fact that God was the one that was going to lead her. So what does this mean for us today, our Christmas story 2022? Anybody who wants to become a Christian must basically do the same thing that Mary and Abraham had done before her. How many of you knew where you were going when you accepted the call? <laughs> Some of us might have thought about doing things differently. Others of us are like, man, this is, this is absolutely amazing. I, for me, it kind of falls within both. You know, God knows what we can deal with at the given time that we're given to deal with it. Looking back at my life, we all have those hindsight moments, though, right? Where, man, I wish I would have done that, or I wish I wouldn't have done that. And just thinking this through, some of you are Christians with a strong response of faith like Mary. You look to the future with faith and hope your walk with God is strong. And you're laying down these deep roots that are going to sustain you. Others have been around for a little bit, still faithful, still trust God, but life hasn't maybe gone as you expected. Others, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but ultimately things have turned out great. Life is going as planned. Maybe you found a spouse, your dream job, dream home, whatever. And then there are some of us that are spiritual dinosaurs. Yesterday I celebrated, as Jackie did, our 32nd year as Christians. <laughs> Baptized December 10th, 1990. Some of us in, that, in those years have taken some big hits. With that, Jack's going to come up and share a few thoughts. and downs, you go through times of great response to faith. Oh, wait, I want to give myself five minutes. All right. Um, and then, you know, there are times when you go, what the heck, God? What the heck? All right. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has had those experiences, uh, but I definitely have. And, you know, there's a proverb that says it rains on the wicked as well as the righteous. And I'm like, why is that so? That's like, you know, where's the reward? Um, and my mom reminded me a few years ago, my mom who, I don't know if she's watching today, she might be, hi mom. Um, she usually watches our service if she doesn't go to, to church, but shh, don't tell anybody that. Um, she's a disciple. Love you, Mike Mead. Uh, she's 92 and she's a disciple. Um, but anyway, you know, as, as a lot of my friends that I go to high, went to high school with and we stay in touch and... I was complaining to her, I'm like, man, you know, just look at their lives, they have all this freedom, they have no worries, they're off traveling here and traveling there, they got money to do whatever they want to do. Horses. They have, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, Psalm 73, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and she goes, but Jackie, 
they've already received their reward. And I was like, oh, dang. You know, smart yeah, mama. Is. But still, there are times I go, what the heck? Um, you know, I had no idea when we were baptized in December 10th, 1990, that um, we'd be called into the ministry. I definitely wasn't voted most likely to go into the ministry or be a preacher's wife or, or a women's ministry leader. Um, you know, and uh, we had been separated and both committed adultery. And uh, so, you know, when you get baptized, it, it's not like you, you know, your marriage is automatically, instantaneously healed. We brought a lot of baggage into the kingdom and had to work through that for many years. Um, our kids, you know, there were times in the last 32 years we were told if you do this plus this, as a Christian, you'll pop out a disciple. And, um, and that's just not true. Uh, it's just not true. It's not even biblical. But those were kind of expectations that we had, um, I had, of God. We're doing this. We're obeying. Uh, yet, why isn't my kid a Christian? Why isn't my kid a disciple? And there's a pain there that no one can understand because you want more than anything for your kids to be saved, right? Uh, marriages between disciples don't always work. You may do it the right way. I've seen people do it the right way. We didn't do it the right way. I've seen people date, get married, do it all biblical, and it still doesn't turn out great. And you go, what the heck, God, right? Um, I think as a, as a Christian, I've experienced the greatest joys in my life, but I've also experienced the greatest hurts in my life as a disciple um, from people that... I expected too much of, honestly. Um, because they're disciples, I expected them to not be sinners, and we're all sinners. And um, so I think that is, that's been painful, right? Um, you know, but so I think with it all, in my prayers, and God knows what my prayers are. I have a child who is married to a disciple. They have a great family, and we got three awesome grandbabies. And they're disciples. Um, they're not without their issues also. But it's either we do life with God or we do life without God. Uh, that's just yeah. kind of how it is. Um, but I have one still on her journey. God knows what my, my desire of my heart is. But if God says yes, God is good. And if God says no, or more importantly, if she says no, my God is still good. Amen. No matter what. And that's what we've got to remember. If we're going to go the distance and we're not going to miss really what Christmas is all about, that God is good all the time. Whether it's yes, no, maybe. Everybody has freedom of choice. Ours is to do the best we can to uh, influence our children and those around us to be the best we can be for God. And um, definitely wrestle through the hurts. I, I know that there are people out there today that are disappointed with God, that feel hurt by God. Yep. I've been there. Absolutely, I've been there. Um, and I think God expects and wants an honest, an honest relationship. I can't imagine. I mean, God, me and God, we've been in a couple fights. And, you know, it, it's if you're going to have a real honest relationship with God, I think you're going to fight with God. Like, I mean, maybe it's just me. Almost every relationship I have, I fight with at some point. Um, but my favorite song, a lyric from one of my favorite songs, it goes like this. It says, I cannot remember a joy or a pain he did not recycle 
to bring me gain. Mm. And I think that if we stay faithful long enough, what I've seen in 32 years is that he has recycled many of my pains. Not every single one of them, not every hurt, not yet, because it's not over. But I believe it, and I trust it, and I know it. And I'll close with this, because I'm like a minute over, maybe. Um, no, only 38 seconds. Wait, i got to close my Starbucks app. i got to close my Word Crush app. Hold on. Oh, that's right. I took a photo of it. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, my favorite passage in Isaiah. This is what our God says to us. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O South Bay Church, he who formed you, Jacqueline, or Gilbert, or Janae, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. And so to me, the hidden Christmas in all of it is that this is exactly what he did. The day Jesus was born, God started giving over a life in exchange for ours. And I know that I got to remember that. And that when I'm mad at God, or when I'm disappointed with God, or when I'm hurt by God, it's always an issue with me. It's never an issue with him. But I appreciate that he's willing to listen to me and walk through that. And that as I go through the fire, I wish there was no fire or flood waters or all this other stuff. But there is. But I'm grateful that he's walking with me. Amen. Good job, Dave. Amen. I love that passage in Isaiah. Moving forward here, next slide. It's a quote, another quote from uh, Tim Keller that I thought was rather interesting in uh, the book Hidden Christmas. Becoming Christian is not like signing up for a gym. It's not a living well program that will help you flourish and realize your potential. Christianity is not another vendor supplying spiritual services you engage as long as it meets your needs at a reasonable cost. Christian faith is not a negotiation, but a surrender. It means to take your hands off your life. Which, you know, I, there, this reason I, I share this is it really resonates with me. And there are those times where, you know, so much of what we do in life is about what we get out of life, right? The jobs that we have, the hobbies that we have, the things that we do. But that's not Christianity. And that whatever it is that we put into it, God has so far exceeded anything that we could imagine as a return through the son, of his, uh, the son that he sent us, Jesus Christ. John Wesley, in his covenant prayer, I felt expresses it really well, too, in that uh, the prayer part of it says, I am no longer my own, but thine. You know, and Jack talked about this a little bit. You know, there are disappointments, there are difficulties. However, when disappointments and difficulties drive Christians, disciples, we think it through... Sometimes those are things that we need, and especially in the United States, in America, in California, where we live, things are so amazing on so many fronts, we can lose sight of the bigger goal here, which is eternity, because life is so comfortable. You know, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many conversions with our brothers and sisters in Lebanon right now is their lives are really terrible by our standards. 
the inflation they have, the things that we take for granted, accessibility to doctors, accessibility to various drugs that can help us with whatever the diseases or health issues that we have, all these things that in a lot of ways we can take for granted, they don't have. I mean, there are days they can go into a grocery store and certain things that they're looking for are not available. And they're faced with mortality daily. And that's something I think that we've got here until you're on that deathbed in the hospital or hospice or whatever, we don't think about it a whole lot. But we need to. So with that, I think sometimes those situations can be the very thing that drive us to rely on God more than ourselves and more than our personal satisfaction, identity, and hope. Honestly, we can find as time goes on, through challenges, we can become far more grounded, resilient, joyful, grateful, and wise with that God-reliance. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, whoops, it reads, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, as we look to Mary and her example, let's choose a response of faith as we face challenges in life. There's going to be troubles. There's going to be suffering. You know, and I loved it. Uh, it was mentioned here earlier today, I, I believe, by Sheila. And at our uh, marriage retreat, it was something that the minors used as an example. But these hard situations that we can go through can turn us into something beautiful, into something great. It's that whole, uh, again, at the marriage retreat, the miners talked about that whole kintsugi, the broken pottery, and how, you know, a, a vase when it's broken, they've got this, this amazing skill set where they take gold and they mix it in with other things to glue it back together, and that, that broken vase becomes more beautiful than the original vase was. So let's look at Mary's example. Again, this girl was no more than 14 or 15 years old. She was on the bottom of the social ladder for her day knowing what probably would be ahead of her if she said yes to this virgin birth, she still did so willingly. And later we go through the agony of watching her son being tortured to death and die young. Think of all the darkness that she embraced when she said, I am the Lord's servant. Right. Yeah, you know, it's, what's so amazing, if we look today, most people in the world know of vir the Virgin Mary. Yeah. They know of the virgin birth. <laughs> Why is that? It's because of the faith that she demonstrated. It's because of the response that she had to the call. And on this illustrates what we have in Matthew 23, verse 12. It says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And in Matthew 16, verse 25, it says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but if whoever loses their life for me will find it. Wasn't that what Mary exemplified through her life? And she was the vessel that salvation was ushered into this world with. You know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I've been trained by our culture not to believe in the supernatural, the spiritual realm. You know, what, what, what do we do when we go through our light and darkness study? There's light and there's darkness. There's good and there's evil. There's this spiritual realm that's out there. And I think in a lot of instances, because we lose sight of that, it really limits our faith and in a lot of ways what we can accomplish as Christians. You know, as a Jewish supernatural, or as a Jewish woman, Mary, when it came to the supernatural, had been trained by her culture in this area to believe that God could never become a human being. 
And you know, some of the, the barriers that Mary faced against belief in this Christmas message that we have were every bit as big as the barriers you and I have faced or maybe facing today. And yet a combination of evidence and experience destroyed those barriers and she came to faith. You know, I think for those of us that have got family members that we've been reaching out to for years, don't get discouraged. Her faith was something that grew with time. I, I do love that it, at that first party that she went to, there were concerns about who Jesus was. We know that her family thought, Jesus' family thought she was crazy. Yet she didn't think he was crazy enough at that very first party. She, I'd love to know what the miracles were she saw before she called Jesus out to make water into wine. But she had, she doubted, she pondered. And that, isn't that how faith works? She weighed what she knew about God and she used her reason and she asked questions just as we do today if we're going to have a response of faith. A faith that leads to and is followed by faithful actions, faithful deeds. Mary's response also shows the importance of knowing God's word when doubts or questions come up. And I think as a, as a fellowship, we used to pride ourselves on being Bereans. Her response was based on her knowledge of the word and what she had seen God do up to that point in time in her life. We've had, we've seen the miracles. We know the specifics. We've got the Bible in its entirety. But are we utilizing it the way that we used to? We need to get back to being those brands. You know, Mary's situation is unique. And we should all be amazed that we are Christians. That our God is working in us. You know, in the little town of Bethlehem, we sing, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. That is such a bold image in that song. Every disciple of Jesus is like Mary. Everyone who's made Jesus Lord and puts faith in Christ and is baptized for the forgiveness of sins receives the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, in us, the hope of glory. You know, we should be just as shocked that God would give us, with all of our issues, with all of our flaws, with all of our doubts and brokenness, such an amazingly priceless gift that he has through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I, I want us to, uh, I'm going to throw this, I think I've got this. Next slide. As Christians, we should never be far from this degree of astonishment and gratitude. And just personalize it for a minute. I, Steve Marici, myself, of all people, that I should be loved and embraced by God's grace. That's so amazing. But I think as we, we get caught up in the daily stuff that we do, even like with contribution, most of us do it online, we lose sight of what an amazing opportunity that is for us to give back to God. Right. We get caught up in the, in the road and the everyday, and we need to get back to this degree of astonishment. And so what amazing God that we serve, the God that is in our life, the same God that called Mary and the results of her faith. You know, if you sum up Christianity by going to church, believing a certain creed, living a certain kind of life, giving some time and money periodically, we're losing sight of what we should be astonished with. We've got to get back to there being wonder and surprise about the fact that I am a Christian today. That is amazing. And this is where we need to be careful. Christianity, through this lens, without that astonishment, can be something done by me, done by you. And with that, there's no astonishment about being a disciple. If anything, it can lead us to be overly expectant of God 
and have a lack of gratitude and contentment and disillusionment, especially if God doesn't deliver the way that we feel God should be delivering to us individually. Because I know for me, a lot of times it's, well, look at what I've done for you, God. How come you didn't do this or that or the other when he's already done everything that he could possibly do for me through Christ? You know, John Newton wrote in his hymn, just thinking through Mary's perspective, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He's hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood and has brought us nigh to God. This is what Christ has done. This is the hidden Christmas, the wonder and awe of the birth of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. He demonstrated love and wonder and brought that to us. He's brought us to himself you and me, Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood, that's a miracle. Amen. We need to remain astonished by that. Me, a Christian. As Jackie stated when it came to her friends, who would have ever thought, looking back at my small circle of friends, who would have ever thought, me, a Christian? Yet, God did it. And I'm his. My hope and prayer this morning is that for all of us hidden when it comes to this hidden Christmas message, we'll be born again and allowed to be born again in us as we respond to God's call, like Mary, with a responsive faith. Amen? Amen. Right now we have a uh, video uh, that's going to be played that will be setting Karina Wingy up, who will be leading us in our here The word peace is common. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. 
This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. has ended. It's also a noun in the dictionary. And um, there's another slide, if you wouldn't mind putting that other slide up. I did some clips. You know, I just googled peace and quotes about peace and, you know, put those, threw those all up there. And um, there's a lot of ideas in our world about peace, for sure. Um, let me just throw out a few quotes. Like, learning to ignore things is one of the great paths to inner peace. Ignore everything and you'll have peace. Work. Be so rooted in your being that nobody's absence or presence can disturb your inner peace. So this person really has not dealt with grief really very well. And this is really awesome here. If it doesn't bring you peace, love, peace, or positive energy, stop engaging with it. It's as simple as that. So I'm going to quit my job tomorrow. <laughs> It's just as simple as that. Don't engage with it if, it, if you can't handle it. Just, you know. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale, famous guy, the life of inner peace, being harmonious and without stress is the easiest type of existence. I agree with that, but how do I get there? And do not let the behaviors of others destroy your inner peace, says the Dalai Lama. So... What do I do <laughs> when that other person ruins my peace? Um, in, Mother Teresa said, peace begins with a smile. And I like that. I think that's the beginning you know, of, of things that we can do. For me personally, being at peace, peaceful, understanding what it is or how to get peace has truthfully, truthfully been frustrating. I'm not by nature a peaceful person. I have to work really hard at it. And I think it's because my pursuit and understanding is mixed up with what the world says it is and how to get it. And um, the word for peace in the Bible is shalom. 
in Hebrew and Irene in Greek, which is what the video talked about. It's also both a noun and a verb. And we'll talk more about that. And both define peace as taking something with a lot of pieces, moving parts, complex, multiple roles and relationships and situations and making it whole. Restoration or completeness. To bring peace means to make something whole or complete, to fix or repair what is broken. This whole concept and idea looks a lot like my life, my inner life, and my exterior life. It looks a lot like our church. It looks a lot like my workplace, my family, and our world. So let's go to slide number two. And, um, and Jesus. Um, it, there, there's a bunch of scriptures in the Bible about Jesus and peace. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, that just exactly what the definition of peace in the Bible, the biblical definition of peace in the, is, that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through his blood on the cross. That in Isaiah chapter 9, it describes, um, gives a lot of names to Jesus. Um, extraordinary strategist, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the ruler over peace. He is the sovereign over peace. He is where peace starts, begins, begins and ends. Um, in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Thank God. <laughs> that previous slide, that's so frustrating to me. And then, do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking courage. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, for he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by which the hostility has been killed. And the top of this slide up here, you know, we, we come to God with broken lives. The walls have huge holes in them, and Jesus fills the big holes. And, and, but we play a role also as peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So Jesus, we, in partnership with Jesus, we can be peacemakers as well. And I threw up some ideas there, but we can be an advocate. We can initiate. We can listen. We can share scripture. We can pray. You, you have gifts that you can use to, to bring peace to your own life, your family, to our community here in our church, and to our world. And, and when we do that, we are children of God. We are being just like what Jesus said we should be. And, and I think that um, this season, it's been talked about in the sermon, and any season, actually, any one of us could be in a state of brokenness to varying degrees, right? And, or we could also be complete. We could also feel like, wow, you know, things are going okay. Like, not perfect, but okay. My wall's in pretty good shape. Or we could feel like my wall 
is, is a shambles right now. I can't barely move. And when we feel broken and we want to snap our fingers to put it all back together again so that we can be in a state of shalom, that rarely happens. The wall gets built brick, brick by brick, right? Prayer by prayer, scripture by scripture, hug by hug, you know, Holy Spirit acting, you know, each and every day in our lives. And Jesus, along with the rest of all of us, can bring completeness back to our lives and our neighbors' lives, our children's lives. We are a part of the equation for bringing peace and completeness back to our sphere of influence. And um, in a group this size, and, you know, I love the bottom part, shalom, that's shalom. That's when the wall's built. That's when the bricks are in. In a group this size, there are many needs, and many of us in very le- various levels of completeness, i.e. peace. And I'm thankful to those of you who have used your gifts and interests to contribute to our peace as a whole and to the peace of our world. I think about our kids' kingdom workers. By making a safe, loving place where our kids can learn about God and learn that God is fun and God loves us. I think about our chemical recovery groups over the years. To those who've sacrificed after they've been made whole to turn around and help others be whole and conquer that amazing demon. And grief recovery, the same thing. I know Clay's done that. I appreciate the, the impact that grief recovery has had in my own life. And a particular conversation we had one time that just helped me a ton. Um, our kingdom teachers who help make us whole by devoting themselves to their own study so that they can turn around and make our understanding of the Bible more whole. I appreciate that. Authors of books and podcasts who've devoted themselves to sharing their thoughts and understanding and wholeness to bring more understanding and wholeness to us as followers of Jesus. I think about um, our, the, the younger generation in our church, the Space Makers, the Lifeline LA, seekers and lovers of God who have sacrificed and used their gifts to create a space where younger people can question, talk about their own convictions, and be made whole from the hurts of our church past. Our ministry staff, I mean, probably every single time one of us gets up here, we should thank our ministry staff because... They've sacrificed financially, and they've devoted themselves to creating a place where God can work to heal us and make us whole. Um, And the countless people on our tech team and first impressions, I could go on and on. Because each of us, when we do one little thing, we're putting that brick back into the wall of either somebody's life or or our church as a whole, or our world, or our workplace, our families. And... um, And I just want to give a big thank you to Jesus for the big, huge holes he's filled up in our lives. We couldn't do that on our own, but he did that through his blood on the cross. And then he gave us the mission of being his children and doing exactly the same thing for other people. And um, thank you to all of you who've contributed to my piece, just by even thinking about your acts of bravery and your acts of service that have bring, bring me peace, and um, both large and small. And, and so I want to ask you to join me in prayer um, for our communion. 
and um, thank you all for, for your lives and the ways you've sacrificed. Let's pray. Holy Father, we all come before you and we bow down before you and thank you so much for Jesus and for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you that he is the definition of peace and thank you that in the Bible and through Jesus' death on the cross, you give us the perfect picture of peace and you allow us access to that and it gives us hope in our lives, God. Thank you for how we've learned from Jesus how to bring peace and how to be peacemakers and I pray that we would do that more and more in our lives. Thank you so much for all the gifts that you pour down on us so generously. Thank you that you give us each other and um, I just uh, pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.